Father, we do thank you for this opportunity to gather in, in around your word and to worship you with singing and pray for um, that each of us would walk in with you every day and kind of the, what we saw in the lesson today, uh, continuing in your word. And may that be true of us. Open our hearts, our ears to hear as we um, continue to look into your word here today. Lord Jesus, in your name I pray. Amen. I um, want to start with a, a little bit of a report from our trip. And I had shared a, um, there was a verse from, I don't remember what year it was. I'm going to say six or seven years ago, but Romans 1.10, uh, making request, if by any means now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. And that verse, God used it to um, put my attention to visiting the Keniston sometime. That, it's like God put their name in that verse. And so that verse has been, um, I started out just praying it, but then I started feeling convicted by it. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not going to visit them, you know. Um, <clears throat> but my mind went back to that as many times. And that, of course, this was Paul's request to go and visit the Romans. And, but I think God... God has a plan for each of us in encouraging each other. And later in this chapter, in Romans 1, he talks about, I think it's verse 12, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. And I felt like that happened. As we went over there, I was encouraged seeing their faith. And I hope they were encouraged. I know the Kenistons were and the, the larger family by us visiting them. And a couple things, I mean, we made a lot of friends, um, even just in that. That is encouraging to have our world expanded. Um, it was a wonderful trip, and to see God working there. Last Sunday, we were at, over at the Bible school with um, Ross Ulrich, and there's 42 men there for three months. Um, either learning English or learning to write or in the Bible classes. And that was encouraging to see men taking off three months and committing to that and being prepared to spread the gospel in Ghana. They had a sign on the wall at the Bible school that said that there's still 20 unreached tribes in Ghana. And I saw the work that is happening in that in those two tribes that is possible to happen again and again and again there's a lot of work that can be done yet um, elena mentioned to me yesterday that in the amazon they say that there's a hundred unreached tribes yet and so this is there's many places around the world um, and it's easy <coughs> i you know, I had to think. I had to travel over there to see that sign on the wall to get shaken out of my comfort, right? To be reminded again that there's a lot of work to be done. 
I wanted to thank you all for praying. I know Josh had organized a, um, a prayer chain, and I believe God answered those prayers. We had quite an interesting time getting there and meeting our flights, and you know that we our flight got canceled out of Denver, and they rerouted us to Chicago, and then we landed in <clears throat> Washington. 30, 35 minutes before the flight was scheduled to take off for um, Accra. And on the airport map, it said we had a 14 minute walk to the other gate. And I got off the plane at 10 till, so I got 15 minutes. And it said final boarding call for our flight, you know, as I'm entering the, the um, terminal. And I had taken one of the front seats you know, we were scattered through the plane. I said, I'm just gonna get off the plane and run, see what happens. And ended up <clears throat> getting to the other gate with another lady. We caught a ride on the way there. And um, they said, what flight are you, did you come in on? And I told her the number and they were, oh, we're waiting for 23 people off of that plane. And so we're holding the flight. So, but they were, it was, they were laughing and, you know, I'm under stress, you know, I'm like, I'm not making this connection. And they're like, call your family and tell them you made it, but we had to take off. And I'm like, I don't think I can tell them that right now, but just the, and then she laughed, you know, this is the lady at the gate. And I was like, well, she has a very good sense of humor. That was kind of my introduction to Ghana. And, um, and then there was an older man that I had helped get his bag off the plane. I decided, you know what, I'm probably missing my flight anyway. It's out of my hands, this man needs help. And so ended up, he was trying to catch the same flight and we got to the gate and we were kind of rejoicing, you know, fist bumped each other. And um, well then they're like, they're trying to figure it out. You know, they enjoy that, that interaction of working together. And um, where we in America here, we tend to go into our own little shell and try to work it out ourselves, you know, rather than, than do it as a community. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, I, I, and we got to a crawl and we landed and I'm thinking we have eight totes besides our luggage. Um, did they all make that transition in Washington? And they did, they were all there. We were able to get everything up to make the next flight up to Tomali, so. But you know, as we pulled in, <clears throat> and we got to their house, and we've heard stories. You know, Sandra that was in the hospital with, um, needed surgery this past year, Sanja needed surgery, but they were just names to us. And we got there and said hellos, and you know, we slowly started getting to know people. Um, yes, this morning I had to think, the next time I go, there's going to be some um, a more joyous <laughs> greetings, you know, and hugs and stuff. Because now we know we have dear friends there. And, um, but yeah, Sanjo is a, uh, a sunny young man who um, Judson and him and Isaiah did a lot. No, not Isaiah. Um, the younger one, Wisdom, and Isaiah, but they did a lot together. 
But he's um, Kwasi's younger brother. He was, had an infected spleen. They didn't know what was wrong with him, but Kwasi had gone to Daniel this past year and said, my, my brother's dying, is there anything that we can do? And so they ended up bringing him out to the hospital and he's doing well now. Um, <clears throat> I think it was the first Sunday we were there as they were having prayer time. The um, Kwasi said, okay, thank, thank the Lord that all these people can be living together in peace. You know, there's the Kenistons are, there's five of them and there's 23 others living on the compound there. So there's 28. And to see them working together, living together is, um, is a testimony of um, faith in God and God's working among them. <clears throat> Some of the highlights, I don't know, the worshiping together, traveling out to the village and um, getting to meet Daniel and Esther out there and going to the Bible school last Sunday were, were some of the highlights, but we have a lot of stories to tell. And um, it was a blessing. I <clears throat> wish we would have made the trip a long time ago uh, for their sake and for our sake. But one thing while I was there, um, Daniel had asked if I would share on um, some things I learned in our experience with Jesse's passing. And I couldn't access my notes. You know, some of those memories are, it's a long time ago, 14 years ago. And so as I sat and was pondering, there's two things that came to my mind that, that I thought, well, I'll share from this and go... Um, go from there, but <clears throat> the question, and I think we've, we all have faced or will face, but has someone close to me died? Does God care when tragedy comes? <clears throat> and after I I had to think, after Jesse's funeral, it hit me how my mother had five miscarriages. No, she lost five. She had four miscarriages, at least, but it was twins and three others. So I have five siblings in heaven that I have never met. But as a young boy, the, the trial of that, that what my parents were going through, didn't hit me until my son died. And I, and I had to think, you know, I remember um, mom being in the hospital a lot and needing to pack my own lunch for school. Um, so I have some memories of that time, but it didn't really um, hit me until um, Jesse was gone. And then I, and so God uses these things in our lives, the comfort that we have received of God during these times so that we can comfort others that we can understand others. Um, you know, we heard some stories over there. One of the deacons, um, his baby was run over and killed. And the person that did it took off because they didn't want to face it. They were probably scared what might happen. 
Um, but the owner of the truck, it wasn't the driver of the truck. I don't know what the time frame was. It was a half year, a year later or something. And they live way in the south. But the owner of the truck, someone in his family died. And that deacon went to that funeral to show, I am not holding anything against you. Um, <clears throat> forgiveness is part of what we were talking about in the Sunday school lesson, is part of that freedom, is the ability to forgive um, and to be forgiven, to accept forgiveness. <clears throat> the reason I went to Exodus 14 is I remember a church service when I was debating with some treatment plan for Jesse and I don't even remember if the message went to this chapter, but God brought a phrase out to me in verse 13, where Moses said to the people, do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord. And I didn't know what to do with that. And looking back on it, I feel like I didn't stand by. I kept busy trying to figure out the next thing. Um, but what led up to this is um, they are, when Moses said this to the people, they were stuck at the Red Sea. And there's a mountain on either side of them. They can't take their families into the water, their wives and their children. They can't swim that far. They can't take them up over these steep rocks on this side and on this side. And the Pharaoh's army is coming through the opening. And the people are fearing the enemy big time. If we back up a little bit into chapter 13 and verse 17. Now when Pharaoh had let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, even though it was near. For God said the people might change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. And so as I read this, God has a plan, and he's going to prepare his people. He didn't take them the shortest way to the destination because he said they're, going to, they're not ready for war. And so he had them. He said, I'm going to take them over another way. Um, and they can get hardened. They can get follow me. They can... Mainly get practice following him, I believe, and seeing his hand. So God said, I have a plan to prepare them. And so I'm not going to take them immediately into battle. But he led them on through the wilderness. And he used a pillar of cloud in verse 21 by day and a pillar of fire by night, that they might travel by day and by night. So think about that. Usually we think of, if I'm out in the mountains hiking, I don't want to be out in the dark because I can't see. You know, it's kind of a dangerous place. But here God gave them light at night that these couple million people can travel at night. Today, that's the Holy Spirit. We can travel by day or by night because God is showing us the way. And so God has a plan to lead his people. 
So he's prepared his people to lead his people. <clears throat> and then in chapter 14, we see Pharaoh saying, they are getting stuck in the, they're going to get lost in the wilderness. I'm going to go after them and get them back. <clears throat> but God has a plan. He told them to turn and go over to the sea. And then they, they get to the sea. Pharaoh is coming. And God told, he told them to go there. The Israelites didn't just happen to end up there by mistake. And so God has a plan to deliver his people from Pharaoh. <clears throat> but as they, they get into that, we see here in verse 10, as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. In fear, what do we do? What do you do when you're up against something and the fear is rising? Don't we go back to what we've known? You know what? Yeah, that looked good. And I took a few steps toward it. But then there's some resistance. The fear rises. You say, you know what? I'm just going back. That's, that's too scary out there. <clears throat> so the people don't realize that God has a plan, I think. And if they, well, God has a plan, you'd think they would know. I mean, who put that pillar there that's guiding them at night? Who put guiding them by the day? But they're not trusting that plan. And then when the enemy comes and they don't see a way out, um, they're fearing the enemy rather than looking to God and saying, God has told us to go here. So has God told me to go somewhere? And then the resistance comes, and I'm like, this looks too big. I woke up the Saturday night. We're going to fly Sunday morning. It must have been Friday night. It was Saturday evening. I don't think I went to bed that night, though. <laughs> Jay came over at, what, 1 o'clock to 1.15 to take us to the airport. Maybe it was Friday night. I woke up, and I'm like, what am I doing? This is crazy. I'm taking my family on all these flights to a country I've never been to before. You know, maybe I should have just went and checked this out. But, and I wrote about it in my journal. I mean, it was pretty dramatic in my mind. But... You know, things happen. Also, what am I doing? God led me to do this, but that fear rises up. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back. Look to God. And then God says, <clears throat> He says it in two different places here that He is going to protect His people, He's going to take care of the enemy so that His name is glorified. I'm not seeing it at the beginning of the chapter, but I know at the end of the chapter here in 14, verse 31, when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. I'm not seeing the verse I want, though. 
but God says, I am doing this for my name's sake. But in the fear of the moment, the Israelites are thinking about themselves. And so we get our eyes down at our circumstances rather than what is God's plan? I'm going to stick with the plan. <clears throat> One thing in the midst of that trial, God moved that pillar that night. He moved it behind the Israelites so that it was between them and the Egyptians. And on the Egyptian side, it was all dark. They couldn't see. On the Israelite side, it was bright, and they could see. So the same situation that we can say, you know, in the world, this is a dark situation. But for the Christian, it's light. So we need to be careful looking at circumstances and saying, this is terrible. You know, from a worldly perspective, it's over. God has a plan. And he's going to keep his believers in the light. <clears throat> God also sent his angels. It wasn't just the pillar of fire and cloud that was between. God also, it says, he positioned his angels between them. Pharaoh and his army could not get to his, the Israelites. And then he blew a wind all night, and it dried up a path for them through the ocean. The water piled up on both sides. And there, all of them walked through on dry land. And they got to the other side. So the miracle happened. God made a way where, it, where there was no way. And then Pharaoh's like, well, hey, we can just follow on through, right? And so they walked on dry land. Their children were able to walk. Their families, they made it. I believe it was easy walking. But the chariot wheels fell off when the army came in. So God made a change. Something changed there. You know, because they're all through the other side, but now look, that army's still coming. And then God just put the water back in on top of them. And he told them, he said, the the Egyptians that you see today, you will see no more. They were gone. God had a plan. It takes for us to not live here, but to keep our eyes on God's plan. What do we have to do? <clears throat> and that's where my second verse comes in. Um, in John 14... After Jesse passed, this was my favorite verse. Jesus is saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. And so God can have a plan, but if I don't believe, I don't walk in faith, I don't trust God, um, I'm just going to give in to the enemy and go back. I think without Moses talking to God and talking to the people, pleading for them, um, at one point here in verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? So evidently Moses is like, all these people want to go back. This is what, you know, what's going to happen here? And God said, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. 
Has that ever happened to you where you're like, you feel stuck and you're fearful and God just says, stop praying about it. Just take the next step. I've already told you what to do. Um, <clears throat> but let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And I had to think, what does that mean to believe? He's talking to people who had the law, who were the people of God. They believed in God, and he knew that. But here was Jesus who was standing in front of them in the flesh. And they weren't quite sure what to do with him probably, right? That came out in, the, in chapter 8 today. Um, they weren't quite sure how to follow him. And he's telling them, you know that there's a God and that he put everything in place. And he created you, he called you to follow him, he gave you the law. And now I'm here to show you life, to bring you life, and to help you walk with God. So believe in me also. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. And Thomas says to him, Lord, we know not where you are going, and how do we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Am I going to believe the same? when my son dies as when I'm singing churches and singing songs in church on Sunday morning. You know, if I'm here praising God, do I really believe God? Am I going to believe the same out there when that tragedy hits? <clears throat> do I believe that Jesus is preparing a place? That he is coming again? And that he is the only way? There is not another way. There is no other truth, and there is life in no one else. <clears throat> one thing I found out through the time um, with Jesse, I think my mom told me this, that my grandfather's favorite song was, My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. For thee all the follies of sin I resign. But there's a phrase in that song, if ever I love thee, my Jesus tis now. And I want to find it. I wrote a poem over that time. It's on a computer that died, I think. But it's the, the idea that now when my son is sick, if ever I love thee, my Jesus tis now. Now when things are not going like I want them to be. Now, when I would not choose this, this is when I love Jesus. But often it's when we run. Often that's when we turn back and say, this isn't working. I'm going to go back to Egypt. No, that's when we need to press in even closer. That's when Jesus becomes even more special. 
When times are tough, believe even more. In those hard moments, I remember that I felt like I couldn't even pray. But I had one prayer out of the Psalms, Lord have mercy. And later, increase my faith and help my unbelief. But the Psalms became very precious during that time. I felt like the um, doctrine of the New Testament was just not, my mind couldn't go there, you know? But I could go read the Psalms and spend a lot of time in the Psalms over that time. Do I believe that Jesus is coming again? When a man wants to get married and he has made arrangements with his bride and with her family and then he leaves to go get a place ready, he's counting the days so he can come back. She's counting the days so he can come back. But there's preparations that need to be done. Jesus is just waiting for the Father to say, it's time. It's time. Go and get your bride. He will come again. Don't worry, he tells his bride. I will return when all is ready. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In Ghana, they have these little packages of biscuits, and they're like um, sweet crackers. And I'm not quite sure what all they use them for, but there's different colored packages. They had red and green and blue, and there's some other colors too, but those three um, we had. You know... It's like the religions of the world. I can go to one. Oh, this blue one looks nice. I'm going to run over here. And then you find out, well, yeah, something's not working out. I'll try the red one. So we go running over there, and you just open it up, and it's still just biscuits. It's the same thing. It's just a different package. Or I can run over to the yellow one and open that one up. It's just biscuits. Christ, he said, I am the bread of life. You come and eat of me, and you will live. Don't go running after the brightly colored packages of the world. The religions that are dead, their way is to death. There is no life there. They do not have the truth. Only Jesus is eternal life. How do we help How did God help us when grieving, and how do we help others? One thing that I haven't done the best with, but some have done it for us, and I've only done it a couple times for Marlon, but, you know, to remember the day that your family member was, that their family member died. Grieving happens at different times for different people. 
I remember Charlotte started grieving the day that the doctor told us the tumor had returned. And I didn't really grieve until Jesse died the next year. Um, but we can't really put a certain pattern on grieving. We need to give people space <clears throat> and understand that there is a difference. Time doesn't heal grief. Time doesn't heal things. God does. He holds our tears in a bottle. He sees us crying and comes and sits with us, collecting our tears and remembering with us. God is very close to us. But like that song, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. Like the Israelites, often, though, we want to run back. I just want to get away from the pain. It must be better. Um, why did I ever follow God out here? Um, maybe this wouldn't have happened. But you know, that's a lie from the enemy that God is not close to us. <clears throat> when others grieve, what do I say? A friend's presence speaks comfort. Often less is better when it comes to talking. Don't talk about yourself and how it made you feel or what it made you think of. Be there for them. <clears throat> Do you talk more when you get nervous? Then be careful. Be very careful with our words. God does not desert his people in the wilderness. He finishes what he started. He provides what is needed. Do not be troubled. Believe in God. We have a song Lily and Elaine are going to help me with. And um, a song about the Israelites in the wilderness. Moses leading the people out. So we'll sing that right now. <clears throat> You are scared or unprepared. You sure they won't? 